Welcome, fellow baseball fans, to episode 65 of the Banish to the Pen podcast, a group baseball blog produced by diehard fans of the podcast, Effectively Wild, the daily show from Baseball Prospectus. I'm your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of NatsGM.com and the baron of all baseball podcasts. This week, I am proud to welcome back to the show two Banished to the Pen contributors and uh, two friends of mine. I'd like to introduce uh, Mike Carlucci and Ross Buckowitz. Mike and Ross, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, good to be back. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, first and foremost, I want to start kind of the same place we start every week. Uh, I know you guys have been on a few times, but in case people haven't heard your voices before or uh, just don't don't know you as well as some others, uh, introduce yourself, uh, Twitter handle, who you're a fan of, you know, day job if you want to share, just all that good stuff. So uh, let's start with uh, let's start with Ross, alphabetical order, please. I'm Ross Buckowitz. I am a fan of the Milwaukee Brewers, so this wasn't the greatest year for me as a baseball fan. Um, my Twitter handle is just at Ross Buckowitz. Um, probably have to look up the spelling in the post for that. And yeah, that's about that. Oh, I'm an accountant, so that's what I do during the day. I, I just stare at numbers in a spreadsheet all day. That's fun. So do you have a little bit of time free now that uh, you've gotten through October 15th? Uh, I, don't, I don't work in public accounting anymore. Gotcha, So gotcha. the normal, uh, like, April 15th, October 15th aren't as big of a deal for me. Um, I'm busiest in the summer because I actually work for a nonprofit now. And our instead of being a calendar year, we have a fiscal year. And that ends in June 30th. So all summer is when I'm busy for that. But So now I'm starting to wind down and get back to normal. Some may remember, be... famously, Ross decided to come on the podcast on April 14th, I believe, either this yep. year or two years ago. And we were all just stunned when he finally announced at the end of the podcast that he was an accountant. So uh, good to have you back. Um, uh, good to be back. Uh, Mike, kind of same question. Introduce yourself uh, to everybody. Yeah, um, I live in, in Boston, which is, as we all know, David Ortiz's not quite safe for air uh, word city. <laughs> um, I'm at Mike Carlucci on Twitter. Uh, obviously, fan of the Red Sox, big poppy. Rest, uh, rest in retirement. During the day, I'm uh, a data analyst at Northeastern, so I do education stats, kind of, uh, kind of like Ross. Uh, I stare at numbers all day. Well, uh, thank you guys both for coming back on the show. I really, uh, I'm looking forward to kind of recapping to a small degree both the ALCS and the NLCS. And as we're recording this, it's about I don't know about an hour and a half before first pitch of Game One of the World Series. So we're going to preview that a little bit, uh, not too heavily, but a little bit as well. So let, uh, let's start with the NLCS, uh, Mike. I know you previewed uh, the Dodgers at the beginning of the season, so maybe uh, I'll let you kind of volley it to you and let you start just kind of your thoughts on the uh, the NLCS that just finished, uh, I don't know, two and a half days ago. Yeah, um, I mean, the Dodgers have been, have, have pretty much done everything they've they've set out to do. They, ha- they, haven't, won, they haven't won a championship, but uh, they've, they've been the big, the biggest player in the National League, just kind of sucking up a lot of oxygen uh, in the draft and in international signings. Free agent, maybe volume, if not taking the big stars. Um, 
and it's it's gotten them where they want to be. They're in the playoffs every year. They're spending the most money. Uh, they have a lot. I mean, a, a lot of talent. They have you know they've got veteran. Surprising to call him a veteran. Clayton Kershaw, vet, you know, veteran leadership pitcher. Uh, they've got a great closer. They have, you know, Adrian Gonzalez uh, is still still there. Plus a young a young core coming up, led by Corey Seager and Jock Peterson. They lost a really tough uh, tough matchup to the Cubs. Maybe you know an, another another year or so under his belt. Dave Roberts is going to make some. Not necessarily better decisions, but will be will be more comfortable, and you know that 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 might do it. Uh, otherwise, you kind of have to go go along with Billy Bean's uh, philosophy that doesn't always work in the playoffs. You can be the Dodgers, and you know, that's your hand. You you made it to the NLCS. Congratulations! It's t- it's really tough to go to go all the way. Yeah, and I think kind of building off the first kind of point you were making is I, I was really impressed with we've talked about the Cubs all season and I don't know I think they won 103 105 games this year they were the best team all year they were the best team in the last five years and that series really could have gone either way I mean a couple of hits this or that and one or two key breaks and the Dodgers easily could have won that series or at least made it to a game seven and gotten it interesting I was I was pleasantly surprised at how competitive they were yeah, I mean it was it was about as dramatic a swing back and forth among, you know, the baseball baseball media and Twitter and fans. Uh you know, the Cubs like r- roar into life, have a crazy, you know, grand slam. Then the Dodgers roll out their aces and it looks like, oh, well, you know, the, the Cubs are young, the Cubs are, you know, not established. Uh you know, the Dodgers can can make this go all the way. And then just Sort of like that. That kind of uh, evaporated, and just just as quickly, uh, the the Cubs, you know, showed why they won 103 games. They're a really good team. Yeah, and it's almost amazing. I mean, even in Game Six, sure they're going back to Wrigley, but you've got Kershaw on regular rest, and and Rich Hill sitting there for Game Seven, and you're thinking, well, the Dodgers are still. I mean, that's still a pretty good setup, anyways. And goodness, it's just like I say, it, it evaporated pretty quickly. Uh, Ross, kind of uh, tag in, but your thoughts? Yeah, I. I... I'm kind of petty, so I'm a little sad that the uh, Cubs were able to make it in. But I mean, it is kind of a fulfillment. This this did seem like a team of destiny all year almost. That even with the behemoth that is Clayton Kershaw standing there on the mound in an elimination game, I don't think we should really be surprised that the Cubs were able to overcome that because this is easily the most talented team in all of baseball. And if there's any team that you could say actually deserve to win over 100 games in a year. It might be this one. Because, you know, every team that does this has some element of luck just to get there. Because it's hard to win 100 games in a year. We know that. But even though every single year a team will approach that, this Cubs team is one of the few that I think can give a legitimate claim to be a elite, elite team that is capable year in and year out of winning 100 games. So even though... Personally, as a fan, I'm not too happy that they ended up fulfilling that and making it to the World Series. You can't deny it's not a good thing to have the best team in baseball advance. Yeah, I mean, this is a team... And, that, 
Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, this is a team that lost their cleanup hitter in in the third game of the year and still won 105 games. So go ahead, Ross. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, and they're one of the most popular teams in the entire league. I know, owing a lot to the fact that they're one of the former Super Network teams. So <laughs> I think it's it's probably good for baseball that they made it, even it, if it's bad for me personally that they made it. <laughs> so uh, we've talked about, or we mentioned two pitchers, uh, Kershaw and, and Rich Hill. I, I, I guess I want to ask first about Clayton Kershaw because this kind of builds a little bit off me as a Nats fan in Game 5 of the NLDS, but... As good as Kershaw is in the regular season, is he starting to lose that big game luster in the playoffs? Ross, Mike, either guy, either one of you guys? Not gonna lie, I actually turned that game off when the Cubs scored. What was it? Two runs in the first inning? Because like, oh, this is gonna be <laughs> a dumb game that the Cubs won. I mean, they ended up kind of knocking him around a little bit, but that first inning, it was you know, blooper, ball off the fist. That just, you know, Chris Bryant's good enough to knock in, but I don't think there's any kind of special magic juju that makes a guy that much better in the playoffs versus the regular season. I mean, I know it seems like Madison Bumgarner's like that, but even he's not infallible in the postseason. So I'm with uh, Ben and Sam, I think, on the pod yesterday, agreed that if it's one game, you still pick Kershaw, you know, even though he's had hasn't been as good in the postseason as the regular season. I'm still, for me, one game, I'm picking Kershaw. He's the best. Mike? Yeah, it's a, it's hard to see someone who's who's that good struggle so much. But, you know, even um, even as you see the, the postseason sample size, as it is, increase, you just, you can't, you can't mesh that with what he shows every every time he takes the mound from April to September, like you know, he he'll have a couple bad starts in the season. Uh, you don't want it to show up in the playoffs, but at, you know, at, at at some point he'll you know we'll we'll all forget about this after he he has uh, you know the Madison Bumgarner year and he pitches you know seven games and allows. I don't know, two runs or something, uh, and leads the Dodgers to the to the championship. No one will ever remember that. Oh, you know, Kershaw. You know, maybe they should have had Rich Hill start instead. No, no one will think about it. It'll just be, it'll just be gone. Yeah, I'm amazed. I would have bet. I mean, first of all, I'm not much of a gambler, and I don't have much to gamble with. But uh, I would have placed a large wager that Kershaw was going to pitch a heck of a game in Game Six, and you know, one of those Bumgarner type starts where, you know, it's eight innings and, and, you know, he's just completely dominant. And that was just not what we saw. Yeah. It, it, it felt like it could be the mirror of, of the other series, uh, you know, with, with Francona being able to go from, you know, his starter to, to Andrew Miller and, you know, just sort of shut, shut things down when you, you know, if, if, if they could get it to <laughs> three or four innings, like they just needed to go from Kershaw to Jansen and, they're in game seven. It, that, it's really true. So uh, I, I do want to ask you guys, and this is obviously building off the Sam Miller and Ben and Sam question going all the time, but Rich Hill's going to be a free agent this offseason. 
first of all, just your thoughts on Rich Hill, and then what kind of contract does he get in this winter? Uh, either guy. Uh, let's start with Mike. Jeez. Oh, uh, after after listening to to Sam kind of contemplate this for for a year, or, or maybe even more, or more than a year now, uh, it. I don't. I I can't see. I can't see any any team. Is he? He's thirty. He's thirty six. Yeah, next year he'll be thirty seven. I mean, Bart, Bartolo Colon is Bartolo Colon is old. He he's gotten some multi year deals at the back back end. Hill still didn't. You know, I mean, he didn't pitch a full season, but you can't always count on that anyway. And and it was blisters. Two, not it's got to be at least you know. two years. All right, two years. What's the number? Two years. Uh, the um, arbitration number is like seventeen million now. Oh, God, two two years, two years, forty forty two and a half million dollars. I don't know what I've just done here. <laughs> okay, there we go. Two years, forty two and a half million dollars. All right, Ross, buy yourself a rich hill. Okay. Yeah, so Hill. I was actually I was trying to look at Cologne's uh, baseball reference page as a um, reference, no pun intended. But I completely forgot that Cologne was basically out of baseball from 2007 to 2011, except for that little brief stint in 2009 with the White Sox. I guess 2008. Never mind. He wasn't really out of baseball. His uh, salary is part of his BREF pages. That's incomplete. Um, anywho, so that was a bunch of useless stuff. Uh, I would say it's going to be two or three years. You can't go beyond that, I think, just because unless it's like Randy Johnson, where you know it's that kind of physical freak of nature who's 11 feet tall, so of course he's going to be able to keep up with it um where you can assume a guy's going to be beyond be able to do it beyond you know the age 37 38 39 i think someone will go three years because again it, it only takes one it's just whatever team values in the highest so i'll go with three years and 58 million i think that's a touch less than what sam gives him i think sam's been giving him Three years, $63 million. I think it'll be, you know, with that extra year, it'll be one of those, it'll be like a 20 and a 20, you know, right in line with what Mike said. But then that last year will be like a vesting option year where it's like a $4 million buyout and, eighteen, you know, $18 million total. So then it's $14 million if you want to re-sign him for that last year, essentially. All right, I like that. I like that. Um, let's see. Uh, I think I saw that Nick Cafardo in the uh, – and if I got that name wrong, I get everybody's name wrong. But in the Boston Globe this weekend, uh, pegged him for 3-45. and 45. And, and I think that's light. I think the three years is right. I think kind of like Ross said, uh, probably the best pitcher on the market this winter, which is absolutely incredible to say after a year ago he was barely in baseball. But uh, I think it's going to be three years, and 
Mm. I'm, I'm going to split the difference between Sam and Ross. I'm going to go three years, 60.5 million. And maybe even, I'll even throw it this way. I'm going to throw in a fourth year vesting option with Hennings too. That's what, that's what I'm throwing in there. So three years plus a vesting option, 60.5 million. And that's well, the vesting option dollar B. Oh goodness, that's going to be another twenty million a year for the fourth year. So, if he if he throws one hundred and seventy five innings in the third year or five hundred over the three years, take it to the bank. Scott Boris, sign it up. That's it. That actually sounds a lot like the uh, the the deal the Brewers signed Matt Garza to a couple off seasons ago. Of course, you know, lower dollar amounts, but similar idea. Yeah, so I'll be really interested to see which one of us is closest and how that actually works out. So, and if the, if, uh, if he says with the Dodgers after seeing this uh, the the Kenta Maeda deal, maybe the maybe maybe they throw throw a screwball here and the vesting option is for uh, uh, for for games finished. Mm, that could be it too. Some kind of weird or games started. Maybe they think same idea at, yeah. at forty. Yeah, I was thinking that maybe they think. When he's 40, they use him out of the bullpen for some reason. Oh, okay. I like that idea, too. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, at worst, you know he's a loogie, so, which is worth $6 million a year. So, all right. Anyways, uh, let's transition off of the Rich Hill talk. And uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the ALCS, although, goodness, it felt like it came and, and went like a quick thunderstorm. But, uh, Ross, I know you kind of wrote up the, uh, the Indians preseason. uh so let me kind of start with you, uh, and let's start the conversation there. Yeah, I'd say this Indians team ended up surprised me a little bit just because I thought they would um, follow the strength of the Kluber, Salazar, Carrasco, three-headed monster. But, I mean, I think, well, is it Kluber's the only one of those three that actually ended up pitching a full season with Salazar and Carrasco each only had about 140 innings. Obviously, all three of them were excellent when they pitched, but the fact that they were kind of able to muddle through it, losing two-thirds of their rotation, or two-fifths of their rotation, whatever, um, kind of shows how good Kluber was at the top end, and then how they were able to mix and match that bullpen with Cody Allen and then um, Andrew Miller once he came over from the uh, Yankees and even Zach McAllister, who were kind of the um, folks I thought would work at the beginning of the season. But then even, too, they were able to overcome uh, Michael Brantley never really coming back, which another thing, like, that was a guy that, you know, MVP candidate two years ago who um, even, you know, was an all-star level player. The fact that they were able to overcome that loss really impressed me. But I, I think it does, it, it, it starts up the middle. Of having having uh, Lindor and Kipnis as a double play combination, I guess, can really paper over some other issues that a team has. Um, unfortunately, I haven't really been able to watch any of Cleveland in the playoffs because the AL playoffs have been all on TBS and you know, not having cable myself, I, I do the old use my mom and dad's cable login, but TBS is not one of them that has an agreement with my mom and dad's cable provider, so I can't quite... Uh, I've been able to watch them at all, so I can't really speak to how they've looked in the postseason at all, other than 
Well, and, just kind of look at the numbers. So I didn't. Know, think Mike of, has a little bit more to add. I didn't think about that point. And second of all, uh, to build off that point, you know, the games have been in the afternoon, and so many of them were, you know, quick routes. It, it, it felt like the series, you know, it was really fast, like I alluded to earlier. Just Mike, uh, mm-hmm. kind of pick up from there. Yeah, actually, uh, along the same same kind of lines as Ross, uh, as another person without cable. Um, it, it, it was it was tough to keep up with uh, with seeing much uh, much of uh, you know MLB TV uh, limitations on postseason capabilities, uh, but yeah, it was uh, it it was stunning. Uh, well, I guess it was it was less stunning after after wins. You just you just kind of felt like if they could get if they could, they could get going that Francona knows what he's doing and he knows his team and he. Was willing to use a fascinating setup going against, uh, you know, to, to go against against Joe Madden. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, and I, I don't think we'll ever see another like Trevor Bauer, uh, even even as um, as drones will probably gain in popularity, but one of a kind. <laughs> yeah, can we ask uh, why does he have a drone? I mean, I'm kind of kidding, but I'm not. Why does he have a drone? Like, what do you what is he using a drone for? And what's he playing with it for? I mean, I think I kind of agree with what Michael Bauman said. If Trevor Bauer had cut his hand on a fishing hook, nobody would even mention the fact that he hurt himself right during the playoffs. It's only because drones are like a new kind of geeky thing that you don't associate with traditional manliness. That's the only reason people care. No, I disagree. I, I agree with the first point that if it was a fishing accident or if he had fell down a flight of stairs, it would have been, I, I mean, you know, you get made fun of a little bit for being a fool or whatever, but it would have moved on. But I, I can't think of any reason why the man would have a drone. I, I can't think of a, what is he doing with a drone? I don't know, flying it around. They seem pretty cool. You never had like a toy helicopter or plane or something as a kid? Imagine that just like, you know, you can actually use it outside instead of just in the living room. Seems pretty cool to me. I mean, I don't have one, but I I can't imagine if I had that kind of money to spend on on frivolousness, I I would spend it on a lot different things than a drone, I guess. After yeah, Trevor Bauer probably doesn't actually have that much money. We got a good signing bonus as a third pick, but I'm I'm with you. He doesn't have crazy crazy money yet. Mm-hmm. So like, eh, drone, yeah, that's probably what he can. That's probably the level of craziness he can afford. I, I just, He's not quite buying a Ferrari level yet. Did anybody? Did any reporters ever ask him why he had a drone or what he was doing with it? Well, wasn't he trying to fix it? Yeah, but like, what to do? What is he then going to go fly it around? Like, what was what was going on in the whole process? I'm just I'm so fascinated by why he's. Well, I know he flies them around the stadiums pregame because I saw there was a video that came out where he crashed into like the scoreboard somewhere. Um. Like, this was way earlier in the season, so it's not what caused it to need repairs recently. But, yeah, he flies around the stadium, and I guess getting a bird's-eye view of a baseball stadium when you're the guy controlling it would probably be pretty cool. All right, uh, Ross, I'm going to blame this on, on just sheer our age difference because I don't get this at all. <laughs> this one really throws me for a loop. Mike, uh, thoughts, uh, uh, drone thoughts? So I, I actually know a couple people with drones, and they're they're more portable than you'd think. Uh, 
I mean, it, it, it's it would be depending on what what he's what he you know, and you know they 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 fly him around. They you know they'll take uh, take video and it's uh, it it's interesting. They're you know they're kind of like a broken. There's tons of people people put put their videos up of just and it's like the drone flying over trees and flying past a bridge and you know maybe buzzing their dog. Uh, less of those, but you know if, if he's going um, from park to park and he's flying the drone around, that would probably be some great footage. It just you know you there's a lot of places you can't can't uh, you know necessarily like a, a view from I don't know. Imagine the view from the from the lights from the up from the light tower, and he could fly the drone up there. Could be something interesting. Uh, all right, a two to one. I'm taking There's my a, at times. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna admit defeat two to one, guys. I'll t- I'll take the tap. I'll tap out. Everybody hears Wait, it, but I don't get. I never, still don't get it. Honestly, like it, the place I would want to use it is at Miller Park. They've got like the catwalks for yeah the uh, people that could for like repairing you know doing repairs for the roof i would be terrified walking up there but if i could fly my uh, you know a drone up there and kind of take a look what it looks like that'd probably be pretty cool you know nice little compromise you get it yeah kind of get that cool angle that you wouldn't get anyway uh you can't get on your own like mike was saying and when you know like like i like i just said i wouldn't want to walk up there because i'm heights don't do i'm not good with heights like being able to actually see what it's like up there from a drone, yeah, that'd probably be pretty cool. I've got an even better idea. Have somebody else work the drone while you're pitching. <laughs> so I should have figured you're going to say something like that. <laughs> so you don't destroy your pitching hand that's worth millions of dollars. So I mean, I know. At least I know. have somebody else repair the drone for you. Fair enough. All right, I'll give you that. And like I said, guys, I'm gonna. I'll take my defeat on that one. So, and maybe we'll try to use that. Uh, poor transition and, and move on to uh, talk about the World Series, which is as I alluded to earlier about an hour away, first pitch, so uh, I, I guess first and foremost uh, who do you guys have winning the series? Let's start, uh, I'll start with my main drone man, Ross uh, As much as it pains me to say it I think the Cubs are going to take it you know, break whatever, the, you know, all the demons of one half of Chicago, at least. You know, I know. I know everyone wants to forget that the White Sox are in Chicago, and you know they count. They're a real major league team, but yeah, I, I think it'll be the Cubs in six. Uh, Mike, I want to get your prediction, and I also want to get your thoughts a little bit, as you are a Red Sox fan, as you mentioned earlier, on just the number of Red Sox kind of permeating through the series on both sides. You've got, uh, you know, on the Cubs side, it's mostly front office with Theo and Jed and, and Jason McLeod, I believe. But then um, with Cleveland, you've got, goodness, you've got Terry Francona leading, you've got Coco Crisp, you've got uh, Napoli and a few other names I'm blanking on. So what uh, kind of your thoughts on the series as a Red Sox fan, and then uh, maybe we'll do a prediction as well. As a, as a Red Sox fan, I think this is this is – Probably the best matchup you could have hoped for. Obviously, when the Red Sox aren't playing, because um, both both sides are, uh, you know, very very compelling. You've got the former front office. They've got uh, Anthony Rizzo, who was our you know one of our prospects. Uh, oh. So even part of their young core. And Terry Francona, 
and a pile of players that has uh, <laughs> you know been in Boston one point or another. Andrew Miller has become the star of well of bullpens of baseball. I mean, he's he's the most dominant guy playing right now. For I think for Red Sox fans, there's a lot to look forward to. Um, and I mean, everyone, everyone in the Cubs, the Cubs are really good. I think I'm going to end up, I'm, I'm going to say the Indians, it's going to be the Indians in seven. It's going to be a lot of really close games, but Francona, the only one standing who's had, had uh, who's really had to do the impossible. Mm. Uh, 2004, he came into a, a tough situation. You know, Grady Little had been, had been, well, Grady Little couldn't make pitching pitching changes, and Terry Francona had to rely on bringing Curtis Laskanik in in extra innings against the Yankees. You know, game on the line. Like Francona decisions, and he's probably because he's the only one who's been there. But I think he can. I think he's he's their secret weapon. It's kind of obvious that he's their you know he's their manager, but he's still their secret weapon. And Indians, Indians in seven. All right, it's not every day you get a Curtis Lascanic reference. I love this. That's awesome. And another point that I want to make that you brought up, but can you imagine how badly he would get crushed? I mean, he got crushed in the media then. Can you imagine twelve years later with the bullpen usage and the specialization it is now? Can you imagine? I mean, Pedro wouldn't have been in the game at that point. I mean, he wouldn't even gotten to a hundred point or a hundred pitches in that game. Yeah, no. no. Maybe peak oh, 1999 page like would have been era. allowed to, but... Right, right, right. Well said. That's true. But not but five he, years but, later, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I, I I was going to go with the Indians and thought I was going to be the contrarian, but uh, I think I'm going to go Indians in seven as well, and I think the the big storyline I'm going to throw on there is just a big Cubs choke. I think this, the uh, situation gets too big for them, and uh, I don't know if that's kind of the storyline that's going to come out but i think that's uh that's what i'm going to go with is just not necessarily that the indians beat uh the cubs but the cubs beat the cubs themselves so yeah that that'll definitely be the story that comes out of it if that prediction comes true right or wrong it'll be the narrative that the cubs can't overcome the curse and it it got to this young team now, and I do want to ask you guys, although it feels a little weird asking because the Indians haven't won a World Series in you know, 65, 70 years as well, so it, it's not the perfect question, but is a Cubs World Series, is that good or bad for baseball? I guess I'll start with Mike this time. Uh, is it good or bad for baseball? Uh, as someone who's kind of had to, you know, hand-wringing about, oh, you know, the Red Sox, were more fun to watch before they won, they won the World Series. No, no one watches baseball to never see their team win. That's what you want to see. They don't need to win every year. Uh, when when the when the Cubs win, is that will be the greatest night of all of their fans' lives. And you know they'll, they'll always remember the, that the Cubs the Cubs won and drama and you know and and struggle and goats and all kinds of storylines. It, it'll be a good thing. We'll, you know, we'll probably get tired of it, like the country tired of, uh, you know, hearing about the Red Sox and uh, Johnny Damon's hair and Kevin Millar became a national figure for a little bit. Uh, but it'll be, it'll be good. Yeah, that phrase "Red Sox Nation" kind of uh, m- m- makes me a little nauseous these days. Yeah. 
So, Ross, uh, this is a tough question for you, Ross. Goodness, all right. Is it good or bad for baseball? I actually think the Cubs winning would be bad for baseball nationally. Because it is, you know, the Cubs having gone 100 years without, 108 years without winning a World Series, that is a very captivating storyline that's going to get the casual baseball fan who might not necessarily watch the World Series anyway. That narrative gets people tuning in. So once that ends... It's not. It doesn't matter. It's kind of like um, Mike with the Red Sox. 2004. That was just the sports story. But then they went won another one in 2007. People were like, oh, great, they won again. Like it stopped. It didn't have as much meaning. Grand thing. Actually, I know Mike said this would be the greatest day of Cubs fans' lives. For the person that is just a Cubs fan, yes, but like they have to. Put it in perspective. In the last twenty some odd years, they've won what six NBA titles, uh, three Stanley Cups, and the city of Chicago has seen a World Series title. So, like, as much as they pretend to be like they're this suffering team, they really aren't. Whereas you t- take that study of a Cleveland fan, the Indians haven't won a World Series in forever. You know, they lost their football team for a while, and even now that it's back, it's mostly been terrible for the 20 years. You know, they had the prodigal son from Cleveland who left, and yeah, he came back, and then they finally get the city off the schneid. But I think for a Cleveland fan in general, even coming off the heels of an NBA title, this means more. This is actually bigger to them than to the a Chicago fan, just because I don't think there are too many people that are simply a baseball fan or simply a hockey fan or simply a basketball fan. And, you know, they exist, but I think you have to remember that like people generally like multiple sports, especially multiple home teams. So I think this is this would be bigger for a Cleveland sports fan than necessarily a. Chicago sports fan who's also a Cubs fan. But yeah, going back to the whole, is this good for baseball? I think as good as it would be for either fan base, especially the Cubs winning would be bad as a whole. Just, you know, that this, this is such a strong storyline that's going to always drive viewership, especially because this Cubs team looks like a potential dynasty. So the storyline of you've got the 108 years of history plus can this team that looks like it's going to dominate, break through, and win it, is definitely going to draw in viewership that wouldn't necessarily be here the next time the Cubs are going for the World Series if there isn't one, or, you know, if they don't win this year. Yeah, I like your uh, your your thought, Ross. I kind of, I think in the short term, and when I say the short term, I mean two months to three months, I think it might be good for baseball to have the Cubs win. But I think once you get basically to opening day next year, I think it's bad. I think there is something to the lovable losers and and everything else. And I, I think you can certainly make the case that Cleveland needs it more than Chicago, although, you know, I, I you know, you can certainly make that case as you did, Ross. But I, I, I don't know. I just I think in the long term it's better to have that lovable loser story 
But uh, that, and I don't want the story to be that the Nationals haven't are the longest team that haven't won a title either, because I don't want to deal with that media circus. So I'm going, I'm going Cubs. It's bad. So a uh, little off script, but same idea. Uh, if the Cubs win this World Series and Theo retires the day after the World Series parade, is he a Hall of Famer? I mean, I think he almost has to be. Being the guy that built the teams that broke the two most famous winless streaks in, I'd say in professional sports history in general, not just baseball history, I think you almost have to say he's deserving. Whether or not there isn't a long list of non-players that should be in the Hall of Fame before him, you know, that's a different question, but he himself, I think, would be deserving, even if he just retires after this year, if, assuming the Cubs win. Mike, I've got to agree, and you know, the, the I mean, for, forget you know, more more years of uh, is really more impressive in a, in a lot of ways, because uh, when he took over the Red Sox, you know, he he was one of the the young stat head GMs. Uh, analytics was was still kind of creeping into front offices uh you know he was able to to do things that that were you know more of the low-hanging fruit and this time with the cubs there was there was nothing to work with and everyone else is ju- just about playing the same game so being able to turn all of that around and win the world series with with the cubs in in five years is just unreal that's that's a that's a huge accomplishment yeah, for me, it's a J.R. Ryder slam dunk. He's got to be. I mean, not only to – I don't know how many general managers have taken two different teams to World Series titles. I, I, that list has got to be short. But to do it with two different franchises and two that have lost for so long, uh, just what he's done with the Cubs in five years is just absolutely remarkable. So to me, he's he's a slam dunk Hall of Famer unless he, you know something really strange comes out after, after his uh, career is over. So – uh, quick transition, guys. Uh, I do want to do a little off-topic, if I can, uh, before we get out of here. I know we're running a little short on time, but uh, I-, I did want to talk a little baseball movies. Uh, we're starting to get to that, you know, we got seven baseball games left, and then we got to kill a lot of time until opening day. So uh, I-, I wanted to ask you uh, what your favorite baseball movies were all time. Uh, I don't know who wants to go first. I-, I feel like maybe I've started with Ross a couple times. So, So, Mike, how about favorite baseball movie? Okay, so I was I was giving this some thought, some thought, and thinking back to childhood and baseball movies. Then, for a lot of people, that's that's going to be The Sandlot. Uh, that's not mine. My uh, kind of childhood baseball movie was Rookie of the Year. Ooh, uh, the kid in right. the crazy cast, and you know it's a Cubs pitches for the Cubs and. By coincidence now, the running time of Rookie of the Year is 103 minutes, which I think is symbolic of something. Wow. So, Rowan Gardner. Henry Rowan Gardner. Very nice. That that definitely is an underrated <laughs> movie. That pitching coach is absolutely hysterical. So Yeah. And his famous line was, you've got to heat the ice, which was always my favorite. 
how about you, Ross? So this is actually kind of perfect because uh, Mike picked one that involved the Cubs. Um, I was kind of scrolling through my Facebook feed a little bit um, earlier, and up popped a friend of mine who posted a picture of himself in a Halloween costume from a few years ago. And it was, he dressed up as Rick the Wild Thing Vaughn. And, you know, it's perfect because you got the Cubs movie and now the Cleveland Indians movie, whereas my favorite is Major League. Just, um, I know it's more of an adult one, so it's kind of odd that it isn't one that you'd watch as a kid. But, like, I never, I wasn't really, I didn't really watch too many of the baseball movies as a kid, like. You know, I'd seen Rookie of the Year and um, Little Big League, but, like, I didn't even see Sandlot until I was, like, 14 or 15, and at that point, I didn't like it because I was the villain, uh, you know, the kid who played organized baseball. So, yeah, I, I think Major League, because it, it best captures, you know, what it's like to be that ragtag underdog group where, you, and you can... Um, and then you're also, it, it's kind of more authentic seeing that it, it is a bunch of guys that are sitting there busting each other's chops and um, getting into fights and, you know, doing all these crazy things together. So, yeah, I think I'll, I'm going to go with Major League, which, like I said, yeah, very, very good symb- symbolism with uh, contrasting to Mike's Rookie of the Year pick. Yeah, that's that's a really great pick. I watch that just about every year, and it, it kind of at the beginning of the baseball season to get yourself started. And I, I we play a game, my buddies and I. We'll see how many ref, uh, major league references. Like if we'll go to a game, we'll see how many references we'll make during the game during our conversations. And it's amazing. You get way up into the forties because everybody's like, "Oh, it's too high. It's too high. Oh, it's gone." You know, just the number of things that you could quote from the movie. And then we'll play another game. We'll see if, like, the people in front of us or beside us, how long it'll take before they will quote the movie as well. And normally you get to about the third inning before they drop something in it. So it's amazing how that movie has just permeated everybody's kind of baseball talk. So uh, for me, uh, those two are great. I I could, you know, I obviously, Major League Two is a movie that doesn't get enough props either. That's a great movie. But the one I'm going to go with is Bad News Bears. I've just bought that on DVD recently, and that movie is just, it's unbelievable. It's, the things they say could absolutely not get, they could not get away with 40 years later from when they uh, debuted it, but uh, just some of the characters. I mean, Walter Matthau is the coach, and his daughter is the pitcher, and, and, uh, goodness, the outfielder who's the headache, and uh, Tanner, and everybody else. I mean, just, what a fantastic movie, and... uh, one that I don't think uh, a lot of us have seen enough. So uh, I'm going with Bad News Bears for my pick. Also a great pick. Yeah, de- and for those who haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Uh, you may not want to watch it with young kids. but uh, Excellent. <laughs> Just don't watch the remake. Yes, no, definitely do not watch the remake. So, And the tr- Moneyball is a pretty solid movie, too. i, I got to throw that in there as well. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. So, it, it definitely exceeded my expectations. Yes, I think that's actually a really good way to put it. It's actually really well said. Although, much like the book, the fact that they just ignored that the uh, oh. the A's had this three-headed monster of a uh, pitching staff or, or still they, always gets me. Or they didn't mention they had a 35-home run MVP shortstop through the whole movie in the Galtahada. Yeah. Had to get it mentioned. <laughs> yeah. 
he's kind of important. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But make sure you mention Hattie with those eight homers. He was really vital. I'm uh, acting like uh, Carlos Pena was like an MVP candidate that right. Billy Bean wanted to get rid of when he was batting like a buck ten at the time. Oh, the revisionist history in that movie is fantastic. So, but like, I mean, Brad Pitt's hair is just excellent in that movie. So, yeah, I mean, I'll, the... I'll, I'll, you can forgive a lot of things when I still say that movie is perfectly cast. That movie is much better if you cut all of the family out of that movie. It's fifteen minutes <laughs> that's not needed, and that movie is ten times better if you cut all of that out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the the moving song didn't. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it made Rowan Washington a lovable character. Oh, <laughs> that was a good part. If I don't watch, <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> That's also another one that uh, definitely gets the um, has permeated the baseball talk. Is it's easy? Tell him, watch. <laughs> uh, too funny, uh, guys. Before we get out of here, uh, I- I'd love to do uh, we. Started it last week. I named it Say Yes to Pepper, which is a horrible name. We're still looking for uh, people to chime in with better ideas. But basically, your baseball, what's sticking in your craw this week? So uh, if you've got a complaint about the game or anything in between. So uh, I don't know who wants to start. Mike, Ross, go ahead. Whoever wants to go. I'll, I'll jump on one. And we kind of touched on earlier with how I, when I mentioned I couldn't watch any of the uh, ALCS, like, if base, I get why Fox puts you know everything on Fox Sports One and you know lights on cable and everything, but if you're trying to get kids into the game, make it easier to watch the darn games. Don't you know? I shouldn't have to hunt through the cable. Um, you know, you shouldn't have to use the uh, bootlegged password of my parents just to watch these baseball games and. Even you know there are probably plenty of people that don't even get Fox Sports One in their their basic cable package if they have it. So like, just just make it easier to watch the playoffs. That that that's the one thing I I would ask of Major League Baseball. That's probably my biggest current pet peeve. Mike, have you had the same problems? Because I I was at a bar the other day just you know during happy hour trying to watch the game and they didn't have Fox Sports One the channel. They looked at me like I had two heads. Did you have the same trouble? Yeah, I mean, as a uh, as a cord cutter, it's tough to keep keep up. And you know, but what is what is Fox Sports One? Back in the day, it's all on Fox. All you needed was an antenna. Yeah. Uh, what's sticking in your crawl, Mike? The cold. It's it's you know it's October twenty fifth, game one of the World Series. It's 50 degrees. I mean, I mean, you know, it's Boston, but they they play all over the country. It's not going to be any warmer in Chicago and Cleveland. Uh, it's really cold, and all the games are at night. Not that's that's not the weather baseball was meant to be played in. And whatever Major League Baseball has to do, they need to somehow get the playoffs to be to be starting earlier. Starting and finishing earlier in the month. Yeah, that's a good. That's a really good call. Um, my uh, say yes to Pepper this week is Charlie Sheen. Um, I'm mad at Charlie Sheen because if he wasn't such a nutcase about three or four years ago and continued down that spiral of whatever that was, he could have been 
in good enough standing that and popular enough that he could have thrown out the first pitch in one of these games as Rick the Wild Thing Vaughn in character, and it would have been the greatest thing in baseball history. And instead, because he's such a crazy guy, there's no way that Major League Baseball is going to let him anywhere on the field, let alone throw a first pitch. So it, I am upset with Charlie Sheen being a crazy guy because it, he took away what would have been one of the greatest first pitch moments of all time. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Him walking out there, back to the mound, he turns around in those wild thing glasses. The place would have gone absolutely insane. It would have been the coolest mm-hmm. thing of all time. They'd replay it every game for a first pitch. It would be the first thing ever. I mean, it would have been the greatest moment of the entire season. Couldn't have been topped. Yeah, yeah that, that, would have been, that would have been special if he hadn't gone, well, way on his epic rant. Dead. Yeah, and I was trying to use, trying to save uh, our editing staff a little bit of time and effort there. Yeah, so <laughs> with that, guys. Uh, <laughs> so I just want to go back to Mike's a little bit. I actually don't mind that it's cold weather ball, if for no other reason than it reminds me of my high school career trying to play baseball in Green Bay, Wisconsin, in April, mm. which. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been in Green Bay, Wisconsin in April, but it is still decidedly a winter month. Mm. So I don't mind that that much, even though it makes playing baseball impossible. Mm. It's still, you know, it, it gets the nostalgia going in me. Wow. Yeah. Mm. I thought I was playing golf in April here in Maryland as a high school kid was bad. Yeah, that's baseball's way worse. And Green Bay is entirely worse. Yeah. Mm. So, guys, uh, with that, uh, I think this is a good place for us to stop. I know uh, I'm pretty anxious to jump over to the television and watch First Pitch, which is just a few minutes away. So how about uh, we wrap up the show the same way we kind of start each week? Uh, Share your Twitter handle, where people can find you online, uh, where they can find your work uh, besides Banish to the Pen, and uh, basically anything you want to plug. Start with Mike. I think we started with Ross to begin with. So, Mike, uh, take us out. Okay. Uh, at Monterlucci on Twitter. Uh, do some stuff for Banish to the Pen. A little bit of uh, a little bit of writing for the Sports Post. And yeah, go uh, go Indians. Indians and seven. Yeah. <laughs> Ross, uh, say goodbye to the internet. Goodbye, internet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter just at Ross Buckowitz. Um... You can allegedly find me at Banish to the Pen, but mostly as a contributor to the uh, the sister show NNL Central podcast. You know, don't really do too much writing. Um, not really anywhere else. And, you know, you probably don't want to follow me on Twitter because it's going to be a lot of like me tweeting about late night college football, <laughs> which which can be entertaining. But I don't know if, how many people listening to this show actually care about the. Uh, Mountain West Conference games that are going on at 2 a.m. Eastern Time, but if you're if that's your thing, I'm your guy. <laughs> uh, Ross, give a quick plug for the uh, for your our sister podcast. I, I always get yeah. the title wrong. Please uh, throw it out there. It's NNL Central podcast. Um, it's uh, a rotating cast of crew. It's uh, Brandon Lee, Eric Roseberry, um, Alex Cristofoli. Myself, occasionally Rob Maines. It's kind of the the most visible fan of each NL Central team uh, that's part of the Banish to the Pen family. Um, you know, in some cases, like uh, myself and 
Robert might be the only fan of the uh, that particular NL Central team um, in the Bash the Pen family, but uh, we had a lot of fun. I, I would say I'd liken it to the uh, Jeff Sullivan appearances on Fangraphs Audio, where it's uh, there's some baseball talk, but if if you're expecting the crack analysis that you normally find in uh, Banished to the Pen. Stick to the main show. You know, <laughs> we don't quite get to Dane Perry levels of falling off the deep end, but uh, we have fun. I mean, it didn't help that uh, myself and Alex's team, or not myself and Alex, myself and Eric's teams were uh, out of it quite early, and the Cubs just, you know, made it not a race quite early in the season, but it's a good time. Well, I'm sure anybody that's listening to this podcast would enjoy that show as well, so check it out. Uh, it's certainly on Banish to the Pen, and uh, we tweet it out and everything in between. So definitely check it out. Uh, Ross and Mike, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you uh, carving out a little time right before first pitch of uh, the World Series, and I uh, look forward to having you on uh, sometime this off season. For sure. Thanks, Ryan. Enjoyed the World Series, guys. Excellent. Yeah, nothing like a classic matchup. And that was episode 65 of the Banish to the Pen podcast with my special guests, Mike Carlucci and Ross Buckowitz. So I want to thank those guys for joining me and uh, clearing some time, as I said, on a Tuesday night uh, after the workday but before the game. So I want to thank them both for joining me. Uh, in that vein, uh, as I do each week, I do want to give a special thanks to everybody involved with Banish to the Pen, the uh, the writers, the editors, the technical support staff, everybody in between, uh, I think we do a really, really great product. As as we mentioned, we got a couple of podcasts. We have this one. We have the NL Central podcast. Uh, we got a lot of people doing some really great work. We've had a lot of writers who have used this platform to uh, go to a bigger or you know larger audience. Uh, Matt Trueblood comes to mind, and a few other gentlemen, Rob Maines as well. So uh, very proud of the work that we've had and the people that have uh, worked here. So uh, big thanks to everybody that does so much hard work and. Uh, Big thanks to everybody that, uh, you know, sometimes the work isn't noticed as much or appreciated. So, well, thank you guys. So, long and the short. Uh, with that, this episode is a wrap. Let me remind you, please be nice to your fellow listeners.